Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast, where four editors this week are going to take you around the art world. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan, joined by Head of Editorial and Creative Director Melina Cashton. Hi, Isaac. Executive Editor Alex Forbes. Hey, Isaac. And for the first time, drumroll, Deputy Editor Scott Indrasek. Hello, Isaac. Hey, Scott. So this week we're going to be talking about Freeze, which is happening on Randall's Island in New York right now. The three editors here with me just got back from the fair. So Alex, what's the rundown of this year's fair? So the sixth edition of Freeze New York opened today at 11 a.m. Uh, more than 200 galleries are showing this year from, I think, 31 countries. It was a busy morning. It was a nice boat ride out to Randall's Island. Early sales indications look better than uh, might have been expected. A uh, number of galleries I spoke to had already sold out their booths, I think, a little bit of that is a good amount of pre-selling, uh, which we can get into in a minute. But all told, uh, strong presentations. A few different things have changed for this year. Um, Spotlight, which is a section dedicated to solo artistic presentations from art history. So since 1960, expanded to 31 galleries. Um, they've also expanded the you know pseudo section within the main section of the fair dedicated to galleries showing uh, secondary market or older works as well, uh, both pulling from the kind of ongoing trend of diversification in collections in the market and also taking up some space of, of galleries that have left the fair and things that have shifted within the floor plan. So for those who aren't as familiar with Freeze and its history, uh, Marina, you've been going for years now. Can you give us a little bit of context on the background? Uh, yeah, Isaac. So Freeze is a, a London fair, a fair that started in London in 2003. In 2012, I believe, they launched the New York edition uh, and did so in a, in a fairly uh, unusual way or in a way that to me feels very aligned with Freeze, the brand. And, you know, we had it, we just had a discussion recently um, or in the car on the way here about how the fair really does feel aligned with the brands that they've developed. Um, I'd say personally, it's been one of my favorite fairs to visit because of that intention and that thoughtfulness and that kind of airiness and, and, and way in which going to a fair doesn't necessarily feel like a task or a work kind of necessity, but rather something that you create as a, a day experience. And I think for visitors, it can be that way. You know, it's it's on Randall's Island. It can be <laughs> quite a trek to get there. But the experience of the tent, which was designed by So Ill or So-Il, is bright and airy. It's a serpentine-like shape. And, you know, it was really designed thinking at how you experience art and how you consume art. And so it's a very different experience than going to a convention center and so on and so forth. But it can sometimes dictate uh, a little bit or, you know, this is up for discussion, dictate what dealers show potentially. Um, but it has, in my eyes, a very intentional feel and experience to go with it. Well, what do you mean that the, the shape of the tent can dictate? Oh, not necessarily the shape of the tent, but the, the whole vibe, the whole aesthetic that the tent creates. It's very bright. I mean, there have been years where you have to wear sunglasses indoors because mm. it is so bright. There's a lot more space for galleries. I think many fairs sort of followed that design and giving galleries more space and more air around it, above it, and so on and so forth. So you get a sense or a feeling like you're in a white cube or a gallery space, but this is a tent on an island. Um, it sounds very dreamy. It's not always so dreamy, <laughs> um, depending on, to get there, you know, this island, uh, depending on the weather. But, you know, it is, in my opinion, uh, 
spare where you can easily consume work. Mm. I think last year it was really windy and this tent sounded like it was going to fall over any yes. minute. Um, yes. But to your point about uh, how it kind of pushes a, a certain aesthetic look on things, you know, I think it does coming back from their editorial background. There is like a very freeze look to art that shows it freeze. It's not like, you know, I think there's a, a healthy debate in the art world about whether that's a good thing, whether or not fairs are, should be kind of more merchandising oriented or should be more curatorial. Freeze is definitely like heavy on the curatorial approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't know things, there tends to be a lot of like light wood and handcrafted work and like lighter colors, pastels and much more white, work than you might see other places. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny in that way, but it, there is a very freeze aesthetic to the work that you see there, I, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. In the same way, too, there is often a very Miami aesthetic to Art Basel and Miami Beach, um, but that's less associated with the design of the space that it's showing and the more the clientele or the collectors who are visiting. Do you think that's um, sort of imposed from the top down, like in, in when freeze itself is thinking about who they want to you know, allow in or what they're going to show? Or is that just galleries sort of know what what's going to work in that space? Yeah, so from my understanding, the, the directors do oftentimes go into galleries and ask them to bring uh, a certain artist or a group of works that they want to have at the fair. So there is this little bit more directional approach. I think, again, it works phenomenally from a visitor experience perspective. Uh, one of the criticisms that's been levied against Freeze by some has been that it creates a less market-oriented market event. And so as people are looking at fairs with a little bit more criticality as to what they want to participate in, particularly in a jam-packed year like this year, I think there's been a, a little bit more of a question mark around that. You know, with the Venice Biennale coming up next week, you know, many different art events having happened over the last month in Europe. Uh, I was in Berlin over the weekend for for Gallery Weekend Berlin, and a lot of people there said that they just couldn't justify making the trip this year. Um, and I think that was a worry going into the week. It doesn't seem to have panned out. Um, you know, as I was saying before, uh, I was talking to somebody at Mendez Wood, and they said that ne- they had nearly sold out the booth. Uh, David Kordansky Galleries sold out their entire booth, um, including paintings by Talam and Donnie. Hauser and Wirth had nearly sold out their uh, solo booth of Lorna Simpson, who they just started representing. So, you know, all told, a, a seemingly good start to the market day. You know, we'll see as that goes on in the rest of the fair. I think it kind of happens to happen on opening day or it doesn't happen at all at Freeze New York because people don't tend to come back again. But uh, those, the, I guess those worries are relatively unwarranted at this point. Yeah, you kind of mentioned that there's like a super crowded art world calendar uh, right now. The, the auctions also move their dates this this year has that had any effect on on freeze it's hard to say so far i mean i know in the past um dealers have said that the the auctions did bring in particularly clients from asia that might not have otherwise been there it did seem more of a european and american crowd today than necessarily has been the case in the last two years i didn't see as strong of a presence from asia and i know um, a couple major collectors from shanghai that i saw um, last week in Europe weren't coming to freeze. Will that matter for the results on a whole? It could mean that a few galleries have uh, a few less uh, kind of massive sales, I think. But in general, the um, price level of work isn't like, you know, it's it's not like a, our Basel and Basel kind of mm-hmm. level of price at Freeze New York. It's a, little, it's a little bit different. So, you know, the amount that one or two collectors or, you know, even 
10 collectors from uh, from Asia can make can be significant, but I don't think it's going to like swing things drastically one way or another. And it's not going to have a, an impact on the auctions, for example. Like, does Freeze bring in collectors that would stick around for the auctions, or if someone's going to bid, they're going to bid. It doesn't. It's not a, so much of a factor. Yeah, it's hard to say if they'll travel, but obviously there's ways to bid, including artsy. So good plug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so in terms of you know the 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 highlights of the fair. Scott, you came into the recording room with with a thing of medicine pills, which, you know, not to narc on you, but but that was that's part of an artwork. Can you can you maybe talk a little bit about that? What what happened there? Yeah, so that was at the booth of uh, Esther Shipper, which I hope I'm pronouncing somewhat correctly, and it was a performance work by Roman Ondak, and uh, basically the idea, I believe it's called the Swap, and it's it's happened a few times in the past, so this is kind of a restaging of it. They uh, have a number of different people who kind of take shifts sitting at a desk and they start out with one object and people sort of trade it, you know? So I think when I came in first thing in the morning, there was a small pen was the first object. And I literally had nothing in my bag to trade except for like a partially used chapstick, which, yeah, they weren't too excited about that. So I came back a little bit later just to see, uh, cause another colleague of ours, Casey had said that at one point in time, there was a 50 euros was kind of on the table, ready, ready to be exchanged. And <laughs> I think what, exchanged $20 for it. Yeah, yeah. So the artists are very bad at math. So I think this is, a, <laughs> it was a, it was a, so when I, when I came back to see what the object was just to do, you know, my re- reporting due diligence, it was um, this pill box, which we're still trying to figure out. Um, evidently, like the person who had given it in was a, a collector of Ondax and I guess just didn't want their medication anymore or something like this so it's a little concerning if you think too much about it so yeah not, yeah I, I, we're, we're still doing some research about what this is but uh so i traded a mary gates girl novel that now i'm kind of regretting trading in because it was really good but uh i can buy it again and now i've got some unidentified medication uh <laughs> yeah. in the name of art they seemed a little concerned about the whole thing. I think they were happy for someone to take it. So that, <laughs> you know, I mean, not like take the, you know, just take it off, the, <laughs> out of the project. Well, the book is for, a little easier. Yeah, tune in for the next podcast to see if Scott is still alive. Um, <laughs> it'll be an exciting, exciting update. Uh, but Marina, what what kind of caught your eye uh, walking around the fair? Uh, yeah, there were there were a few things. I, I think definitely one of the allures for me of Freeze New York are the Freeze projects, which are curated by Cecilia Alamani, who's also the director and chief curator for the Highline. There was one work uh, that we had some chitter chatter about in the office in the car too of some gentleman who was wearing pelts. It was the big question: was was that a real? What, who was that? Yeah. Who is that? And it was actually part, we, we, we think, we still haven't confirmed this, but it was part of a Dora Budor's work, um, sort of redubbing s- cinema or scenes from cinema. So we think, and this, this is from The Revenants, and there were various Leonardo DiCaprio figures or characters from various films that were roaming through the fair. So that was, you know, one of these projects. Uh, another project uh, will rotate through the week, and it's... Um, uh, a restaging of uh, exhibition from a gallery, Galleria La Tarta, Tartaruga. I'm not, I don't speak Italian clearly, but an experimental gallery that was active in the 1950s. And so she's restaging works from two of the artists who are actually part of that, that exhibition and then two contemporary artists. So today it was Giacetta uh, Fiorini. And so basically you go into what looks like an empty booth, but you see a, a, you know, a spy hole. And then when you look through the spy hole, there's a, a room and a woman seemingly in her private room and you watch and you watch her in this this bedroom setting. 
it feels a little bit odd to be doing this at an art fair, but that's part of the beauty of some of these projects. And, you know, Tachilia's in my my eyes has done a great job with these projects and reenacting or revisiting or restaging historic works and making it very accessible to a contemporary audience. Um, last year she did, uh, something, uh, the Daniel Newberg gallery. Um, one of my favorites from 2013 was when she restaged food. Um, so the Soho restaurant artist, rest, artist run restaurant, uh, and she's done various projects like this, but, um, you know, there are going to be two contemporary artists who she's plugging into this. I know, Scott, you... Yeah, I spoke with uh, Adam Pendleton. I visited his studio earlier in the week. And um, I think what's cool about this project, so the, the show that she's kind of alluding to is from 1968. And uh, the exhibition was called, again, not an Italian speaker, but it was uh, Teatro della Mostre. The whole conceit of that show was that I think it was maybe 20-some artists. Each person got one day to do something very obviously very transient one day long and with really quick turnover so uh, adam pendleton on saturday is doing staging a performance just for that day it happens four times uh, and it's got uh, an opera singer two gospel singers a string quartet and this sort of environment where he's sampled um, bits of malcolm x's 1964 speech about uh, the bullet of the ballot which is really worth Rereading, I read it at some point in time, but mm-hmm. it's actually like shockingly relevant, which I'm sure is why he's re- revisiting it now. But um, that'll be happening on Saturday, and again, it seems like a very fly-by-night kind of improvisational performance. Like when I spoke to him, he hadn't even fully the the whole group hadn't rehearsed together in one place. Like they're pretty much just going to be sitting down in in the booth on Saturday and and winging it to some degree. So should be interesting. It sort of is a great segue to another artists and work and booth really um Henri Sala at Marion Goodman in terms of you know s- sound works or works using music or sound or scores um that Marion Goodman tends to bring a very thought through thoughtful show stopping but not in a spectacle type of way booth um in really a take you out of an art fair environment type of booth um and Henri Sala uh created you know a work that again it's been seen before in various Forms. It was more of a performative work with musicians um, in the in the couple years that it's been performed, and this is now taking it into sculpture, and it's basically taking song bridges, uh, seventy four song bridges, and making a composition of those song bridges, which would normally feel very disjointed, but that they end up becoming quite a beautiful full piece, um, and you are seeing it via the various components of this this piece come together through you know percussions and strings and and the various levels um but the work is these you know drums sort of hanging from the ceiling it's very minimal but you have this these drums and the drumsticks moving and you can you know put on the 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 headphones and you're just really for me it was taking me away from the sort of bustle of affair this is one of the things that freeze new york does particularly well or at least that it's fairly unique about it is that you do get many of these Kind of solo presentations, even of among the major galleries that have massive booths. I think most of the time you see those in the younger sections of fairs. But whereas, you know, at maybe one of the Art Basel fairs, uh, galleries can't maybe like afford to not have a selection or major piece by every expensive artist that they represent, because Freeze New York isn't necessarily known as like a a sales powerhouse, but a really potentially better as like a marketing opportunity. Um, you know, you have people like uh, Gugosian this year uh, showing a solo booth of all smaller works by John Curran. I mean, I, I couldn't 
begin to count how many are in there, but it's yeah, it's pretty like impressive. Probably a hundred, I would say. Yeah, and I, it's the second year they've done it as well. Last year, kind of welcoming back Damian Hirst to the program. I don't know if that was officially part of the contract to get him back into the program, <laughs> but um, but you know now with John Curran, who's an artist that really hasn't been that present for the past, I don't know, five or six years to see him that work again was was really fun there were a number of other ones throughout the fair that were yeah that current was really fun it was it felt like he because these were drawings and we're so used to seeing his paintings they were a little bit more playful um definitely there were there were moments of sort of weirdness i mean he's he's known for that and sort of his inflation of body parts and various other you know methods that he uses <laughs> but, but some of these reminded me almost more like cart like playboy yeah, cartoons yeah. from the 60s or something like yeah, like not just like voluptuous figures, but like really comical, strange. They were. Totally. They Which were. is like one of his main reference materials mm-hmm. as well, I think. Yeah, you saw, I, I would never have um, related Curran's work to someone like R. Crumb, but there was a little bit of that uh, sort of comic, playful. And then, you know, around the corner at David Nolan's booth, you saw R. Crumb. They were literally like talking to each other. So, it, you know, the, making those connections at art fairs is to me one of the pleasant surprises uh, that you encounter. Another highlight for me, and then I'll stop. I'll stop rambling on about my favorites. But it was uh, the Kiki Kogelnik booth uh, at Simone Zubal Gallery. Uh, it was a solo booth and just full, chock full of works by what I would call, a, I suppose, a proto pop artist, um, an Austrian artist who lived in New York for quite a while, and is very well known for her figurative work, which she was referencing referencing a lot of fashion magazines, but incorporating these sort of bold florals and polka dots and stripes and um but really exploring feminism and technology and other other forms through through her paintings uh, that to me was a, was a highlight and it could probably stand in that booth and absorb it for longer than i than i was able to but um yeah i mean she was so ahead of her time she passed away in 1997 and um has really just kind of come to the fore in a really big way in the last couple of years, a few major shows coming up, I know, as well. The one booth I actually really liked, which surprised me, uh, it was in the spotlight section, which I guess, Alex, you were saying is a solo artist, but was sort of a historical bent to them. Um, it was Honor Fraser Gallery's Kenny Scharf booth, which I, Kenny Scharf is an artist I don't really, I think just because he's so ubiquitous and kind of silly and playful, like you just, and, and also like there's so many murals of his around you just so used to seeing him but these were much older works from the late 70s early 80s and they were explaining to me um i guess he was involved uh with a with the east village club called club 57 which is also gonna be the subject of an exhibition at moment october that he'll have a big part in so it was just a really fun booth and it was a very different type of works you could still tell it was his characters and like kind of sense of humor but there was a whole series of really crazy boom boxes that he had kind of painted all over and adorned and i guess he also did that like on a commission basis in the late 70s early 80s like he would take out ads in the village voice and you could have kenny sharf like bedazzle your <laughs> yeah. boom box if you want to. there's actually a, there's actually a whole history that i think that moma show is going to sort of begin to uncover of like clubs in new york city uh in this time period being like really important venues for like performance and for art in ways that they sort of aren't anymore today but you know everyone knows warhol but there's there's much more to that story i so, was i was about two years old so i was I don't not blame deeply you involved you in the, the scene beat, but, you know <laughs> uh, another booth i really did enjoy was uh canada's booth canada gallery i feel like previous editions of freeze they really are trying to rebel against it, their booth looking like a booth so at w- one year they had uh catherine bernhardt 
kind of, uh, I guess, curate the booth. And she like has a sideline career selling Moroccan rugs. So the whole booth was full of rugs and it was very homey. Uh, this year it's even more like domestically scaled, I guess. Mark Hunley kind of curated the booth and made the whole place look essentially like his apartment. I think the table in the back room might actually be his kitchen table and things like this. Um, I don't think everything's necessarily for sale. And a lot of the stuff isn't Canada artists. There's a, also like a day bed there, which I guess you could sleep on if you really were tired. Um, I like that booth a lot. I also liked at a Xavier Oofkin's booth. Close enough. Uh, <laughs> there was a kind of a whole, almost like a like a mini solo show of David Altmed busts that were really cool. I mean, Those I'd seen awesome. seen these before, yeah. but these were I don't know. They seem like even more like creepily lifelike. I feel mm. like sometimes his sculptures will have like these eyes that look like there's like fake costume eyes, but these looked creepily real. Mm. Um, and like people with double heads. It was kind of like a zombie Abe Lincoln. But in these pastel colors, so that you you just you do are you are drawn to them. They're not like creepy. Like they look so lifelike. You think it's a head on a pedestal, but yeah, they uh, they also really reminded me of some of this. He kind of pulled back a little bit to what he was doing a little earlier on. He had the show at the Musée d'Art Moderne a few years ago in Paris, and he kind of went and threw everything at it that he possibly could into like the weirdness and craziness of these. And these were a little bit more reserved, which was nice to see him kind of return to that. And also nice to see that he had a, a strong showing in New York with Andrew Rose and his other really main gallery now kind of coming to a close in its own way. So there's a ton of stuff happening in the city this week for freeze. Uh, where are you guys going to be drinking white wine? this week uh scott because you're new we're gonna start with you uh well a show i recently saw that just opened that i would return to is um Vern dawson at uh, gavin brown uh the show's called tinnitus i'm not quite sure why i like walked in expecting something like loud and death metal based or something but uh they're actually just kind of very funky weird paintings some landscapes and things like this Really recommend it. it. They're also showing a couple of his works at their booth at Freeze if you want to get a teaser and then see more. Alex, where are you going to be headed to? Um, so I want to go to the New Museum to see the Carol Rama show. She's an Italian artist who passed away in 2015, um, has been kind of uncovered over the past few years. She um, showed mostly in Italy in her hometown of Turin, Gallery Isabella Bottolozzi, uh, stepped in and really brought the work to a, to a new level of visibility. And I now believe she's also represented by Levy Gorvey. But it's, it's just incredibly fun stuff. She had such a varied career. Um, I, I highly recommend the work, and I'm super excited to see um, what the new museum did with it and, and kind of see this much more institutional-scale exhibition rather than just a, a gallery or gallery show or, or fair booth. Marina? And uh, I'm planning on going to 154, which is the uh, um, affair, an art fair that's dedicated to contemporary African art. Um, and again, is, is is a London fair that's that's migrated to New York. It's located in an amazing space in Red Hook, Brooklyn, called Pioneer Works. And it also has there are some projects that they do alongside the fair. I, of course, go inside the fair, see see the booths. Um, which, you know, having gone to it a few times in London and once in New York, this is the third edition in New York. Uh, but I also want to see some of the special projects. And this year they have uh, a, 
a show by Malik Sidibe, um, who recently passed away or fairly recently passed away, a Malian photographer, and that's at the Red Hook Lab. So I'm going to spend my, my Saturday midday through early afternoon in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Um, and I am going to be going to uh, Elizabeth D. Gallery to see With the Eyes of Others, um, which is an exhibition on Hungarian artists in the 60s and 70s who were forced to, to work under uh, very repressive regimes. Um, and it's it's a very broad survey of the, the kind of politically charged work that they created. Um, and I'm excited to check it out because I've never been to Elizabeth D., which is opened in Harlem. Um, and so it's been on my bucket list for a very, very, very long time. Very overdue. All right. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks uh, to the three of you for joining me. I know you had a busy day at Freeze. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. See you next time. Our producer this week was editorial associate Abigail Kane, and the theme music is by Broke for Free. <laughs>